Africa rise and shine Africa zorza Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Onelin Sinzi. Amanda Machaka and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, African Union leaders adopt several key reform decisions. A new report provides evidence linking Zimbabwe's soldiers to post-election killings. In economics news, Google to use high-flying balloons to provide internet in Africa. And in sports news, Nigerian Super Eagles qualify for the 2019 African Cup of Nations. But first up, the news with Onel Nzinzi. is the first of its kind from the CAR. After being elected to parliament in 2016, Yakutom was arrested in October for opening fire inside the legislature while its new president was being elected. Pierre Bruniso from the International Federation of Human Rights Watchdog says this should send a strong message to the leaders of armed groups. The ICC said Yakutom would be tried for alleged war crimes and crimes against humanity carried out by so-called anti-Balaka militias. A high-ranking Houthi official has called for rebels to stop firing rockets and using attack drones in the conflict in Yemen. This is as a UN envoy prepares to travel to the country to prepare peace talks. Muhammad Ali Al-Houthi, head of the Higher Revolutionary Committee and an influential political figure, tweeted that his group wants all official Yemeni parties to demand a ceasefire. His comments come after UN Special Envoy Martin Griffith said that he plans to travel to rebel Hal Sana in the coming week to finalize arrangements for peace talks to take place in Sweden soon. African heads of state have agreed to make reforms in the leadership of the African Union Commission and other institutions within the AU. They have ended their two-day summit held at the AU headquarters in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia at the weekend. Top on the agenda was how to improve efficiency on the continental body. Chairperson of the AU Commission, Musa Faki Mohammed, says they also agreed to tighten sanctions on defaulting members of the union. How do you expect the Commission to implement its annual programs when you have contributions which amount only to 50% of the annual contribution? This is a reality. And uh, today we have adopted a battery of sanctions to be imposed, going up to the total suspension of the member states that can no longer participate in the meetings of the Assembly or any meeting of the African Union. Efforts to contain a deadly outbreak of the Ebola virus in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo have suffered a setback because of worsening violence in the region. The Congolese Health Ministry and the World Health Organization has temporarily suspended their work following a rebel attack on the city of Beni, the BBC's Grand Ferret reports. 
The DRC has suffered many outbreaks of Ebola, but the current one is the worst on record. More than 200 people have died since August. The violence, which has long plagued eastern Congo, has severely hampered the work of health teams. Late on Friday, an attack by rebels of a group calling itself the Allied Democratic Forces reached a part of Beni housing UN staff. Sixteen of them were evacuated to Goma for what was described as a few days rest and counselling. Lastly, U.S. President Donald Trump says he expects a full report about who was responsible for the murder of the Saudi journalist Shamal Khashoggi to be completed by Tuesday. He describes as premature reports that the CIA had already concluded that Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman ordered the assassination. They haven't assessed anything yet. It's too early. It was a very premature report, but uh, that's possible. We're going to see, but we're going to have a report on Tuesday, and it'll be very complete. In the meantime, we're doing things to some people that we know for a fact were involved, and we're being very tough on a lot of people. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilinsinzi. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka, na unai. The extraordinary summit of the African Union closed on Sunday with several key reform decisions adopted in efforts aimed at improving the effectiveness and efficiency of the regional body. The African Union had been accused of being bloated and ineffective with numerous cases of duplication and overlap in addition to wastage in its operation. At the just-concluded summit, four key decisions were taken that are expected to change the impact of the organization. South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa led the South African delegation to the summit in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Coletta Wanjohi reports from Addis Ababa. President Cyril Ramaphosa left Addis Ababa on Saturday night and headed back to South Africa. His fellow heads of state continued with their second day of meeting on Sunday, where they adopted several decisions on the AU institutional reform agenda. They agreed to reduce the number of commissioners at the AU Commission from 10 to 8. The Political Affairs Commission has been merged with Peace and Security Commission, while the Economic Affairs Commission has been joined with Trade and Industry. These changes will take effect in 2021 after the current leadership at the AU Commission finishes its term. The chairperson of the AU Commission, Musa Faki Mahamad, says they also agreed to tighten sanctions on defaulting members of the union. How do you expect the Commission to implement its annual programs when you have contributions which amount only to 50% of the annual contribution? This is a reality. And uh, today we have adopted a battery of sanctions to be imposed going up to the total suspension of the member states that can no longer participate in the meetings of the Assembly or any meeting of the African Union. The Assembly has agreed to be holding one ordinary summit per year and in place of its June-July ordinary summit have coordinating meetings at regional level. President Paul Kagame of Rwanda, who has led the institutional reforms agenda, says some member states are pessimistic that a strong African Union will reduce their national sovereignty. 
It is implied in a sense that when you are working for integration, you, you, you are sort of ceding some levels of sovereignty to the much bigger entity, which is either the region, uh, sub-region you are in, your country is in, or the whole continent. So there is not going to be uh, any doubt about that. It is well expected, and uh, I think the heads of state uh, understand this uh, as well. He says some member states have asked that more time be given for deliberation. All this kept coming up, and that's what gives rise to healthy debates, uh, first of all. People air their concerns, and from discussion we are able to generate a consensus and we move forward. It's, it's a slow process, it's a difficult process, but it's a process we have to undertake. The Assembly has decided that the African peer review mechanism be integrated into the African Union. This is an accountability mechanism that allows the African member states to do self-assessment on their governance and democratic structures. The summit has decided to push some more items for reconsideration when they meet again for their ordinary session in February 2019. Koletonjohi, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The Zimbabwe Association of Doctors for Human Rights has written a report accusing the country's army of allegedly gunning down six people in August this year during opposition protests in the capital, Harare, following delays in announcing the July 30th presidential election results. In the report titled Zimbabwe, A New Era or Era, The doctors who attended two and documented cases of post-election violence between August 1st to September 5th in 2018 cited soldiers as the perpetrators of violence against innocent civilians. Simon Wachema reports from Harare. Zimbabwe Association of Doctors for Human Rights, ZADA, has launched a human rights report in which soldiers were accused of killing at least six people on the 1st of August. Zimbabwe New Era New Era is the title of the report which explored the August killings as well as other human rights violations across the country allegedly by soldiers. Only victims that presented themselves at hospitals for treatment were interviewed during the compilation of the report which has since been presented to the Halema Monthlate Commission. On the 1st of August this year, while Zimbabweans were still waiting for the presidential election results of votes cast on July 30th, some violent protests broke out, soldiers intervened and people were shot and killed. Zada spokesperson Nomen Matara had this to say over the killings in Harare. The second IS, these are the gunshot wounds, these are the, are, are the gunshot cases that we attended to. So it shows that the people who had, uh, who had uh, gunshot were a majority part of the people who were assaulted. And other objects that were used included shambooks, open feet, booted feet, um, pardon sticks and, uh, and stones. So as you can see, the soldiers are the highest in terms of the alleged perpetrators. So most of the cases that we saw, the alleged perpetrators were soldiers, mainly from the 1st of August to the 5th of uh, August. As expected, government and soldiers denied they were responsible for the shooting and killings of the protesters, but according to Dr. Matara, they gathered enough evidence to that fact. Uh, the forensic documentation that we did 
with the specialist, it means that Zada is now privileged to objectively back the sequel of torture, uh, both physical or mental, through forensic expertise, highly useful for relevant international bodies, as well as useful locally in pursuance of judicial proceedings with consequent compensation to victims for damages as well as compensation for partial or permanent disabilities. As Zada, we acknowledge the Motlante Commission despite uh, reservations about its composition and whether or not its findings will be truly impartial and enforced. And in this regard, like as Zikamai said, we made a submission under the Zimbabwe Human Rights NGO Forum with some of the cases that we witnessed. When soldiers staged a coup in November 2017, Zimbabweans' hopes of a reformed country post-Robert Mugabe were entertained. However, human rights doctors are questioning the sincerity of President Emerson Mnangagwa's government, Dr. Matara said. As we look at the title of the report, uh, A New Era, Stroke New Era, it correctly encapsulates the confusion that grappled Zimbabwe and the whole world after the unceremonious fall of former President Robert Mugabe, exactly one year ago. As the political debate on Zimbabwe swinged between two nuances, skeptics, skeptics dismissed the talk of a new dispensation on one end. Other institutions, such as the Research and Advocates Unit, were a bit cautious, labeling this era new and potentially dangerous. They were mainly worried about the army's involvement in the civil affairs of the country and they queried the army's involvement uh, in the upcoming elections. However, another greater faction was charmed by the talk of reopening Zimbabwe for business through dismantling the state conflation, market-oriented economics, and above all, the enjoyment of political freedoms and universal suffrage through free, fair, and credible elections. Sadly, one year down the line, the weather is too easy to tell whether 17 November 2017 triggered a new era or it was a new era. Unlike previous reports that failed to secure meaningful prosecution against the perpetrators, the new report is based on evidence for possible litigation against the government and soldiers. In response to the report, soldiers have denied knowledge of killings despite widespread reports that they shot and killed six people. Zika Maibere, a director with non-governmental organization forum, NGO forum, said. After uh, gathering uh, evidence, we uh, then prepared uh, a dossier to the Mutlanze Commission of Inquiry, which was uh, set up uh, in terms of the Commission of Inquiry Act. Um, as a result of uh, the setting up of this uh, Commission of Inquiry, uh, we then um, decided to pause a bit uh, in terms of uh, uh, litigation per se, uh, because as you might be aware, this is um, a quasi-judicial uh, uh, body, uh, the Commission of Inquiry. So we hope, um, although like uh, Mr. Bere said, hope is not a strategy, but we still hope uh, that uh, this Commission is going to come up with something after all the investigations and make some recommendations um, to the president and we hope that those recommendations are going to be acted upon. Uh, In Arare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa.
Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time, Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Honouring the provisions for women in particular, the 35% guarantee for their representation across the executive arm and pre-transitional institutions will be crucial to achieving a lasting peace in South Sudan. That was the message delivered to the UN Security Council after a joint visit by the African Union Commission and the UN's Department of Peacekeeping Operations and UN Women in early October. The joint visit was part of the two organizations role as guarantors of the revitalized agreement on the resolution of the conflict in South Sudan which was signed on September the 12th in Addis Ababa show and Bryce peace reports as part of a three-day visit last month the delegation met with stakeholders from the ground up particularly women who've borne the brunt of the almost five-year civil war Listen to Jean-Pierre Lacroix, the Undersecretary General for Peacekeeping Operations at the UN. Our consultations in the country were telling in this regard. While hopeful, the confidence of the women we spoke to in Bentiu, both from the town and the protections of civilian site, was low. They noted that despite the agreement, their families were still falling victim to the, to the violence. They stressed that this is not their war. They appealed to us and their leaders not to forget them, to create a protective environment and to ensure that women are included as key actors in the full implementation of the agreement. While the delegation pointed to the slow implementation of transitional agreements, they welcomed the participation of opposition leader Riek Mashar at peace celebrations in Juba on October 31st, an event where President Salva Kiir apologized to the people of South Sudan for the immense suffering exacted by the conflict. Notwithstanding some confidence-building measures, concerns remain that there can be no viable, sustainable peace unless parties adhere to the permanent ceasefire amidst reports that sporadic clashes in certain areas continue. The country's leaders and the parties will have to demonstrate their genuine commitment to make difficult decisions and compromises for its effective implementation. In this respect, I cannot overemphasize the crucial role of the Security Council, the African Union, IGAD and the region to continue to hold the parties accountable and ensure that they abide by their obligations under the agreement. It is clear that the solution to the conflict in South Sudan can only be political and not through military action. A 35% quota of women's representation across the executive arm, the Council of Ministers and pre-transitional institutions continues to fall short with women on the ground raising the alarm, as UN Women's Executive Director Pumzile Mlambongluka highlighted to the Council. On the new bodies, the National Transitional uh, Committee now has uh, 10 members and one woman, which is 10%. The National Constitutional Amendment Committee has 
15 members and two are women. No women in the Independent Boundaries Commission and the Technical Boundaries Commission or the Joint Transitional Security Committee. The ceasefire and transitional security arrangement monitoring verification mechanism is expected also to have 31% of women. None of these currently formed institutions meet the 35% quota. This is important not to miss out. It is important to take correctional action. Excellencies, this is where you come in. You can be of support. You can encourage the parties to ensure that women are included. The African Union, for its part, says the parties are more serious about implementing the current agreements. Peace and Security Commissioner Smile Chergi. The African Union Commission believes that this agreement offers to South Sudanese a unique window of opportunity to deliver an inclusive, lasting and just peace. However, as my colleague mentioned, both the African Union and the UN are very much aware of the scepticism. That report by Sherwin Bryce Peace in New York. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has written to the National Assembly Speaker Balegambete to correct a response which he gave to DA leader Musi Maimani during his recent oral reply session in the House. Maimani's supplementary question on VBS Bank touched on Ramaphosa's son Andile. Maimani asked whether Busasa CEO Gavin Watson made a 500,000 rand payment into the trust account of Andile. It has now been revealed that a donation was made for Ramaphosa's campaign as ANC president, but he had no knowledge of it. Some opposition parties have reacted fiercely and the presidency says the error was unintentional. Mercedes Percent has more. In a letter dated 14 of November written to the Speaker, the President says he inadvertently provided incorrect information to Maimani's supplementary question. He says, and I quote, Since my reply in the National Assembly, I have sought more information regarding this matter. I have been told that the payment to which the leader of the opposition referred was made on behalf of Mr. Gavin Watson into a trust account that was used to raise funds for a campaign established to support my candidature for the presidency of the African National Congress. Closed quotes. The president further says, and I quote again, the donation was made without my knowledge. I was not aware of the existence of the donation at the time I answered the question in the National Assembly. I thought it best to furnish this information to clear any confusion. Closed quotes. His response will be forwarded to all MPs in the National Assembly. But here are some of the snippets of Maimani's question and the president's answer on the 6th of November. Here. I hold a proof of payment that was transferred to say half a million rands need to be transferred to a trust account called EFG2 on the 18th of October last year. This was allegedly put for your son, Andile Ramaphos. If it turns out that there is any illegality and corruption in the way that he has dealt with this matter, I will be the absolutely first to make sure that he becomes accountable, even if it means that I'm the one who will take him to the police station. Maimane now wants a full investigation into the Bosasa payment. DA spokesperson Isoli Malaji. 
the admission by the president calls for an inquiry into the relationship between the Ramaphosa family and Busasa so that there can be a full establishment of all the payments and financial benefits that President Ramaphosa and or his family have received from Busasa. Other parties want the president to return to parliament. UDM leader Bantu Holomisa says he should return to the National Assembly before the House rises for the December recess. He must come to parliament, allow us to ask a follow-up question when he addresses us. It would be in the interest of the ANC, the country and parliament to do so before the parliament rises. Otherwise, he will be hounded, not only by the opposition parties, but by his own rivals within his own party. African People's Convention leader Temba Godi, who described the correction made by the president as unprecedented, agrees that he should return to the House to properly answer the question. This is unprecedented. I've been around since the time of President Beki, Mutlante, Zuma. Never before have we had this kind of turnaround from a, an answer given so confidently and so matter-of-factly in the House. The President told the nation that he spoke to his son and he was satisfied with what he got. Now, the question is, does the President have a lying son? Or where did the President get the answer that he gave Parliament? As the APC, we believe that uh, it means that that question has not been answered. And even all the follow-up questions that came came on the base of wrong information. So I think the president must come back to parliament and answer that question. The National Freedom Party Chief Whip Nsansa Kubisa says President Ramaphosa should be applauded for the bold step he has taken to correct his response. Perhaps we must find solace in the fact that he said he was going to make a follow-up. And now he has written to the speaker to come and table this matter to parliament. Because at that time, it would have had a lot of inaccuracies. And the very peace that the president has done must be applauded because his position is very critical, he's the head of state, and we may not, not know the background behind it, but that undertaking should be applauded, that he has written, he's made, made it in black and white to the speaker. EFF leader Julius Malema says President Ramaphosa should do the honorable thing, come clean and apologize. Let him call the press conference, declare all the monies. Had the story not been leaked to the papers, the question we should ask is, was the president going to correct that wrong answer he gave to parliament? He was not going to correct it. He was going to mislead parliament like that. So, president knows what's going to happen on Sunday. The stories are going out on Sunday. I want to see this money which he's talking about in that book, where he has declared the money. And if he has not declared them, that is a breach of code of ethics. He knows that. Meanwhile, the presidency says President Ramaphosa did not intentionally mislead parliament. Presidential spokesperson Kusela Diko spoke to the SABC News from Geneva. The president had been asked about a payment of 500,000 rand that had been made to his son from uh, the company formerly known as Busasa African Global Operations. Now, the president, on the basis of the information that he had at that time, 
which is that uh, Andile does do business with Usasa, he answered that thinking that is what the leader of the DA was referring to. It has subsequently came to the president's attention that that is not the amount that the leader of the DA was referring to, but rather it was a different amount which had been paid to a campaign established to support his candidature for the presidency of the ANC. Now, the president could not, with a clear conscience, allow his response to stand in parliament where he gave information that has subsequently proven to be incorrect. However, the IFP says it wants the president to be investigated for misleading parliament. That report by a parliamentary correspondent, Mercedes Percent, in Cape Town. Under the high patronage of His Majesty King Mohammed VI, Morocco is celebrating the 20th anniversary of AfriCities from November the 20th to the 24th in Marrakesh. But what is AfriCities? It is the most important democratic gathering in Africa. Morocco will welcome more than 5,000 participants, including 3,000 African elected officials, who will imagine its future under the theme of transition towards sustainable cities. AfriCities will host more than 150 sessions with an exhibition space of 8,000 square meters and 15,000 expected visitors. So, meet us in Marrakesh, the beating heart of Africa on the move. Channel Africa will be there and will bring you news and views of and from the event. So join Channel Africa between the 20th to the 24th of November at the 8th edition of the AfriCities in Marrakesh, Morocco. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Channel Africa. Onel and Zinzi up next with the headlines. Former Central African Republic militia leader Alfred Yekatom has arrived in The Hague to face an extradition that is the first of its kind in the CAR. Madagascar's two former presidents qualify for the second round of the presidential election to be held on December 19. And efforts to contain a deadly outbreak of the Ebola virus in the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo suffers a setback because of worsening violence in the region. Channel Africa News, I am Onelin Zinzi.
More revelations of elements into state capture in South Africa are expected to be heard today. The country's public enterprises minister, Pravin Gordon, is expected to give his much-anticipated testimony at the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture. Last week, former minister Barbara Hogan concluded her testimony where she detailed interference by President Jacob Zuma at state-owned enterprises. Mbali Tetani reports. Another week of explosive testimonies is expected to be heard this morning when Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon takes the stand. He's expected to detail his time as Finance Minister when he was first appointed in 2009 by then-President Jacob Zuma. And just like former Minister Barbara Hogan, it is expected that Gordon will also implicate Zuma in his testimony. Just over a week ago, Gordon's sworn statement was leaked to the media where he confirmed to have met the Guptas. Leadership expert Dr. Mazwe Majola says more is yet to come from the commission. If it was not for the state capture commission, there will be so many things that will not have been disclosed right now. Sansa Nene would not have told us what he said. I know that they've leaked the statement, but would not have known that. When someone said, I've never made the Guptas finish and clear, that's what this public would know. But this commission, I'm telling you, I think there's so many things that are still coming from this commission. Majola further says, based on Quran's evidence to be presented this week, it will be interesting to see what will happen next. I always argued that what Nene did, he made it very easy for the president because he resigned. And I want to believe that he resigned on his own volition, not under pressure. That was in a precedence. What we hear about Pravin Godan is exactly the same thing that happened to Tlantlanene. Tlantlanene did not disclose that he met the Guptas. It's exactly the same thing with Pravin. The question is, will Pravin resign? Because Tlantlanene showed them the way. Leadership is modeling. Leadership is exemplary. If you're a leader, you show other people how things are done. We are watching that after the commission, what will happen to him. At the same time, Godan's fiercest critics have called on the minister to step down from his position, accusing him of a reign of terror at state owned enterprises all under the guise of cleaning up and fighting state capture. EFF leader Julius Malema also recently reached out to President Ramaphosa. And the president must never allow Pravin to capture him. The president is going to commit extremely serious mistake because Pravin working with the, 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 the rogue unit, they continue to fight anyone else who doesn't shout their names. At the same time, the ANC has since confirmed that its chairperson, Gwede Mandashe, will appear before the commission on the 27th of November. Mandashe has been implicated in the evidence of former public enterprises minister Barbara Hogan. In September, he was also implicated in the testimonies of executives of South Africa's big four banks. They testified that Mandashe and the party's Enoch Godongwana summoned them to the ANC's Lutuli House headquarters to account for why they closed bank accounts linked to the Gupta family, ANC spokesperson Zizi Godwa. We would like to give our version of both the banks and some of the aspects of the issues raised in her submission and testimony, Comrade Barbara. We have now been given 27th of November that our delegation led by former Secretary-General Gwede Mandashe will be making a submission on behalf of the African National Congress on those aspects that we think is important for the ANC to clarify and to give our version. 
Meanwhile, after the commission hears the testimony of Godan, it will continue to hear the evidence of Mzwanele Manyi on Friday, the 23rd of November. Former ANC MP Feiki Mentor, who has since apologized in a leaked letter from her lawyers to businessman Afana Thongwane for implicating him in her testimony, is also expected back at the commission. Mentor had earlier testified under oath that it was former President Jacob Zuma's son to designer Zuma who introduced her to Thongwane on board an Emirates flight. She will conclude her testimony and be cross-examined on the 30th of November. Ambali Tatani in Johannesburg. Let's go back in time to today. In 1968, President Mudibo Keita of Mali is deposed by the army in a bloodless coup. Mudibo was the first president of the Republic of Mali after it gained independence from France in 1960. That's today in history, 1968. Participants at the just-concluded International Conference on Family Planning in Kigali have called on all concerned authorities to work together to tackle challenges attached to poor family planning in the developing world. After four days of deliberations, over 5,000 delegates from all corners of the world agreed that they must work together for collective gains. From Kigali, Silvanus Karamera reports. In discussions that have been held here since Monday this week, participants, including about 600 youth from across the world, it was proved that lack of knowledge on reproductive health, especially among youth, leads to unexpected pregnancies affecting the family planning agenda. Speaking in this global gathering, Rwanda's Prime Minister, Dr. Edward Njiren, said proper family planning programs have been proved to be good incentives for the economic development. A number of studies have indicated that family planning programs have a positive impact on economic development. There is a strong support that family planning is one of the most cost-effective ways of enhancing the well-being of the people in all countries. We all converge to the fact that quality family planning services are a strong means of improving the the lives of women, children, and the families. Family planning is therefore not only a women issue, it is also a development issue. Speakers admitted that the need for extension of skills of family planning to the owner citizens is paramount and until that is realized, the strategies laid may hardly hit the target. Farm planning is about autonomy over our bodies and it is about the freedom of choice to control our reproductive health. When talking about freedom of choice, I recall a 16-year-old girl, Afrin, who I met in the course of my work with Sirak in Bangladesh. When she was pregnant before our marriage, she, was, she wanted to have an abortion. When she, they learned she was pregnant, Afrin was brutally beaten by her family. Her partner worked out leaving her alone. All alone, Afrin went by herself to a co clinic and had an abortion which resulted in full-blown success. I wanted to meet her for her consent to share her story before coming here, but unfortunately, Afrin had died from her infection. Dr. Natalie Kanem, Executive Director of the United Nations Population Fund, is said for those countries that have made headway in laying strategies against family planning could provide best practices. Upholding this right is not just a moral imperative. 
it is also part of a path to sustainable development in the era of sustainable development goals and to shared prosperity. The Minister of Health here revealed that 50% of the population abides to family planning schemes, among which 48% use technology methods. Over 3,000 experts are in Kigali for the next four days, and all discussions are centered on how best women and girls should be given freedom on decisions pertaining to whether, when, and how many children they should produce. Sylvan Skremer reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. South Africa says it has stepped up its polio immunization program in order to regain its polio-free status. The Africa Regional Certification Commission rescinded South Africa's certification as a polio-free country in December last year due to challenges in routine immunization and surveillance. Forty countries in Africa are currently rated as polio-free. Sarah Kimani reports. The eradication of the wild polio virus in the world is close, with just 22 cases reported by October this year in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Those numbers have fallen by nearly half a million cases in the 80s. Barry Rassin is the president of Rotary International. As long as there's conflict, it's more and more difficult for us to get to all the children. Polio is a highly infectious viral disease which mainly affects children. The disease has no cure and can only be prevented through immunization. South Africa currently has less than 80% immunization coverage in 21 out of 52 districts, according to a report released in Nairobi this week, a setback in the fight against the disease. Dr. Kashile Kuzwayo is the chairperson of the National Certification Committee in South Africa. We had been declared polio-free and our certificate has been rescinded because of these gaps. It's not because there are new cases, but we have to uh, satisfy uh, by bringing, making sure that our data is up to date, making sure that our indicators are adequate to make sure that we minimize any risk to the population, risk of importation that may, that may arise. Data from the World Health Organization indicates that four countries in Africa, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Somalia, Nigeria and Niger, have reported vaccine-derived polio cases. The last case of wild polio virus was reported in Nigeria in 2016, but challenges still persist, according to Dr. Rose Leke, the chairperson of the African Regional Certification Committee on Polio. So we can say the only place now in the African region is really in Borno, where we don't know whether there is a virus, wild polyvirus circulating or not. Where the 70,000 children are. A region is declared polio-free if three years pass without detection of any wild polio virus in a country. Africa now waits to see if it can achieve that certification next year. Sarah Kimani, Kenya. Channel Africa. Culture Joy, Addis Ababa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yahoo. 
Let's go back in time to today. In 1990, U.S. pop duo Milli Vanilli was stripped of their Grammy Award because other singers had learned their voices to the Girl You Know It's True album. Today in History, 1990. Ending intolerance means eliminating one of humanity's dark spots, according to YouTube hip-hop artist and musician Sukdeep Singh Bogal, better known as Alfresh the Lion. Alfresh and four other YouTubers from India, Germany, Canada and Sudan are part of the YouTube Creators for Change initiative, which spotlights inspirational creators who use the video platform to foster productive conversations around tough global issues. The creators took part in an educational event in the observance of the International Day last Friday. Hip-hop allowed me to develop the self-confidence in my own story and the story of my my culture. Uh, before that, I was uncertain of, you know, really which direction I was going in, you know, being born and raised in Sydney, Australia, two migrant parents in a country that has a history of, uh, you know, a harsh brand of assimilation um, to the mainstream. Uh, it can be difficult sometimes, uh, well, a lot of the times for migrant kids to, like, really develop a sense of self in and amongst this uh, community that that uh, forces a sense of belonging that is warped. You know, it's kind of like what I mean by that is you have to give up a lot of yourself in order to, to, to be a part of. Um, uh, but and by giving up self, I mean predominantly culture. So for me, that was a struggle I kind of had to come to terms with internally more than anything else because that's where the real devastation is, right? Um, but hip-hop gave me a way of really just appreciating my own story, my own culture, um, because hip-hop appreciates authenticity, appreciates stories and... and that's YouTube hip-hop artist and musician Sukdeep Singh Bogal, also known as Alfresh the Lion, speaking to UN Radio's Natalie Hutchinson. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update. Up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. South Africa's non-profit organization, NACRI-SA, has entered the delicate diplomatic terrain by backing Lesotho wool and mohair farmers in their bid to fight for economic rights. NACRI-SA met the embassy of China in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, on a fact-finding mission to establish if Lesotho's new wool and mohair center, partly Chinese-owned, is not marginalizing the farmers. This intervention has put the spotlight on economic diplomacy between Lesotho and South Africa and on the continent. Thirty-seven thousand farmers of the Lesotho Wool and Mohair Growers Association are aggrieved that the government has introduced new regulations that require brokers to be licensed in that country. The regulations have closed out South African brokers who represented the farmers in international markets for more than 40 years. They have appealed to their counterparts around the world to intervene. At 5% of GDP, 
Wool and Mohair is Lesotho's biggest agricultural export, netting an annual income of nearly a billion rand a year. A Chinese businessman was the first to obtain a license for brokerage and an auction house. Google's sister company Loon has come up with a solution to the challenge of bringing fast, widespread internet to rural Africa. Most companies have tried and largely failed with strategies ranging from drones to satellites. Loon, spun out of the Search Giants X Innovation Lab in July, is teaming up with Telcom Kenya to build a network of high-flying balloons to connect people in the East African country starting next year. In Kenya, Loon says it will start with about a dozen balloons enough to cover roughly 10% of the country and gauge how many more are needed. Luna has begun work with the operator to install ground stations in the capital Nairobi and the city of Nakuru in the western highlands that will beam signals to their balloons. The African Development Bank has launched a flagship economic report on Zimbabwe titled Building a New Zimbabwe Targeted Policies for Growth and Job Creation aimed to support renewal and transformation of the country. Prepared by the bank group's Economic Governance and Knowledge Management Vice Presidency, the report was presented in a plenary meeting attended by the country's government officials, representatives of public and private sectors, as well as other development partners based in Zimbabwe. The report provides the current government, donor community and the private sector with a detailed assessment of investment opportunities in Zimbabwe. Low-cost African airline FastJet has announced a fundraising and equity refinancing aimed at increasing its equity base by at least 40 million U.S. dollars. The company said in September that it needed more cash within a month to continue operating. FastJet, whose shares lost more than half their value after September's announcement, said the steps would significantly reduce its debt and provide the company with working capital until the end of 2019. The airline, which operates in Tanzania, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Mozambique and South Africa announced soon afterwards that it had raised $11.5 million through a placing of 898.4 million shares. And informal traders in Johannesburg, South Africa, have complained to the leadership of the economic, of opposition economic freedom fighters that government is not protecting them as they try to make an honest living. Scores of them met with the party leadership on Sunday to express their long-standing grievances and how they'd like to be assisted. They say the bylaws do not protect them and they are continuously at the mercy of metropolis who allegedly randomly confiscate their stock and assault them. The traders also spoke about how non-South Africa Africans who do not even have trading permits outnumber them while they struggle to secure trading places. The majority of the street traders must be the local people. Our bread must not be taken away from us by the people from outside. It is very important for us to be protected. We may be found as if we are xenophobic, but we are not. Informally trading for Chinasingama South African is the last line of defend poverty. According to the Immigration Act, any foreign national who come into this country to conduct business, you must have a minimum of 5 million rand in cash or in machinery. And a quick look at the financial indicators. The U.S. dollar is trading at 10.46, Botswana Pula, 11.81, Zambian Kwacha. In Brooks currencies, the dollar is trading at 37.4, Brazilian Heal, 
6596 Russian ruble, 7148 Indian rupee, 691 Chinese yuan, and 1395 South African rand. It's at 77 pence to the British pound and 87 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is at $1,221 and platinum at $843 per ounce, while the price of plain crude oil is at $67.39 a barrel. That's the latest business news. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In this hour, we begin with football news. The Nigerian national football team, the Super Eagles, are off to Cameroon 2019 following their one-all draw against Bafana Bafana. With a point from this game, the Super Eagles of Nigeria have now qualified to their first AFCON tournament since 2013 here in South Africa, which they won under the late Stephen Boss Keshi. It's been a great qualification campaign for the famous Green and White after having lost their opening game at home to South Africa. Team coach Gennard Ross says they played this game like a final. Yes, it was not easy. We knew that uh, it would be a difficult game because uh, South Africa had to win to be sure to be qualified. Now when you see the table, uh, they have uh, nine points and uh, still uh, Libya is able, if they are winning, to be qualified. So it will not be easy for South Africa, but I think they will do it. For our team, the most important was to play this match like a final, knowing that the draw is already victory. And uh, I heard that the goals, the, the wonderful goal he scored, my captain, was not offside. So I think it would be more beautiful to win. But uh, we are satisfied about this result because the team played in a block. We had a 3-5-2 organization which gave me a good satisfaction. We had some problems in the first half on the side, especially on the left side. We did it better in the second half and we had our counter opportunities. Bafana Bafana's hopes of reaching the expanded 2019 Africa Cup of Nations AFCON tournament now rest with a trip to North Africa in March next year where Libya will be desperate for a win to make it to Cameroon. Even though Coach Stuart Baxter's tactics are not good enough for Bafana, but they could be enough to get a result against Libya. It's a very good question because we said, I said with the coaches, you know, when we go there, we, it's going to be a mental issue again. You could excuse some of the players for feeling that, let's be a bit careful, we only need a draw. So I think the best way we can approach it is we have to go there, we have to go there and play a normal game. If we play a normal game, there's only one team that scored a goal against us. And if we do that and they don't score, then we're through. So I don't think we need to sit there park the bus type of game. I don't think we need to be too gung-ho, but when the opportunity arises, we've got to get in their faces and make sure that they, they can have to take care of our movement. They didn't here. We didn't get enough bodies forward here. And so the game fizzled out a little bit here. But 
going there, they'll see a better South African team and hopefully they will see a mentally stronger South African team that will deal with that situation because it's, a, it's not a small issue, that one. That's a real, I think that may be the key. In rugby news, Rasi Erasmus, the South African Rugby Director of Rugby, praised the growing maturity of the Springboks following their hard-fought 26-20 victory win over a good, very Scotland team in front of a capacity crowd at BT Murrayfield in Edinburgh on Saturday evening. The South Africans held a small half-time lead 2017 over the enterprising squads after a thrilling opening half which saw both sides displaying some good attacking rugby. Two well-taken penalty goals in the second half, one each by Henry Pollard and Elton Yankees, eventually clinched the match for the Springboks. The Springboks now travel to Cardiff, where they will conclude their four-week tour of the United Kingdom and France next Saturday against Wales at the Principality Stadium. And that's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on African Rise and Shine at the Sour, African Union leaders adopt several key reform decisions and a new report provides evidence linking Zimbabwean soldiers to post-election killings. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa is Lena Dembo with a song titled Chitekete. Oh, no.